Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We are back and we have flipped the calendar into the month of October. Oh, that means baseball postseason gets added in to what we've already been talking about with football. Soon to be the NBA and the NHL starting back up. And we are here to talk all about it. In fact, anything. We're even going to sneak a little boxing in a little later on in the podcast. I promise. We're here. We're all we're all about all of it on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat tiny bit rested host of the podcast, TJ Reeves. He is the purveyor, the uh, owner-operator of sportsmediawatch.com. It is good to be back with John Lewis uh, once again on another episode of the show. How are you, sir? Good to good to be back in a new month here, and it, it's going to be an exciting month, obviously, with the baseball postseason and everything else that's going on. How are things? Um, you know, uh, keeping my head above water and making a wave when I can, right? Yeah, we, we both are on this. Uh, I'm very much sleep deprived and feeling my age after being in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for Alabama dismantling Ole Miss. That was national TV, CBS. I did national radio with Steve Berline. And then there might have been a little bit of interest as I've joked on and off the air and on and off social media in the Sunday night assignment I had working Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio for Buccaneers and New England Patriots. We'll get into that with the ratings, uh, et cetera, in a few moments. One quick reminder, however you found this podcast, social media link through John's site, sportsmediawatch.com. Make sure you're following or subscribing. It will come automatically to you, usually early in the week, usually on Tuesday. Great timing that it's out on Tuesday today because uh, at the time that you're hearing us here, the American League wildcard winner-take-all game, Yankees-Red Sox. Might there be some interest in that, especially in the Northeast? We think so. That is on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Dodgers and Cardinals one-game winner-take-all, a National League wildcard. We're here in advance talking about that, so you may hear us talking about this, et cetera. But my point is, if you subscribe to the podcast or follow us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, subscribe everywhere else, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, you will get this automatically. And we try to keep it timely and fresh. And we're doing a lot of conversation in advance of those wildcard games and talking some football, et cetera. I'm done with the promos. I'm done with the plugging. Let's go back to last weekend first 
and then move forward to the wild card games and everything this week. So, John, it was quite the TV viewership weekend, uh, not the least of which was the baseball regular season ending and the wild card playing out. Just as a general comment, did you get to see a lot of it on Saturday and Sunday and take it in? No, not really. Uh, I think, you know, baseball, they they were probably better off ending the season on the Thursday. If you remember back when they did that, the year the Rays had that walk-off against the Red Sox, they were probably better off uh, finishing the season, you know, outside of the NFL shadow. Uh, ultimately, there was a lot of exciting stuff, but, you know, I mean, no one was tuning in on an NFL Sunday for regular season baseball. It is fascinating what they did because they, they've taken the chapter from the English Premier League soccer final day of everybody starts at the same time. So nobody knows what the results of the other games that have implications, playoff implications, etc. But in starting those at three Eastern time, adjust your time zone accordingly, noon in the West. Uh, th that is right in the middle of the early slate of six, seven, what was it, eight NFL games, maybe as many as eight NFL games that were going on. You said to me just before we hit the record button, Turner had the national game. And what was that broadcast that Turner yeah, had? The Brewers and the uh, the Brewers and the the uh, Dodgers. Dodgers. Yeah. And so there was one national game. Interesting. And that's because of Turner's deal. Exclusive Sunday afternoon is them. It's not like right. ESPN or Fox could swoop in. Fox is showing football anyway. Right, John? So. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about that is the, the Brewers-Dodgers game at 118,000 viewers. Mm. And the WNBA and ESPN and ABC tripled that. And now, that's, a, that's playoffs, correct? And it was a playoff yeah, doubleheader, right? Exactly. So, I mean, you know, obviously we know the combined audience for all the baseball was probably much higher than the WNBA. But, you know, I mean, it is interesting, right? The one national game of the final day of the season, 118,000. Meanwhile, the WNBA was 340,000 on ESPN, and I think just slightly below that on, on ABC. But And of course, you know, TBS has no exclusivity. That was not the most important game of the weekend. You know, there were tons of other games going on that were capturing viewers' attention. But, you know, that's just another reason why baseball should amend its final day, you know. Uh, and uh, even if you're ending the season on a Friday or something and, you know, starting the playoffs on a Monday, I don't know, but they, they, I, they'll do it differently next year because Turner won't have Sunday games. They'll have Tuesday games and we'll, we'll see what they do. Would it be interesting to maybe do it on a Sunday night at, say, 7 Eastern time, start all the games at 7 Eastern time where you're at least out of most of the NFL window and only have the one primetime game? Or do you think that's still trouble because the NFL primetime game would swallow it up. What do you think, John? No, because then it would be on ESPN, presumably, since it's Sunday night. Fact is, ESPN does much better on those NFL Sundays with baseball than TBS does. So, you know, but I do think that, you know, the, the benefit is you have the entire national audience to the one game. Whereas with the way baseball ends its season, you know, in New York, they weren't watching Brewers Dodgers. They weren't watching Brewers Dodgers in Boston. They weren't watching Brewers Dodgers really anywhere except sure. for Milwaukee and L.A. And in Milwaukee and L.A., they were watching that game on their local stations. So, you know. Good point that you make on that. And again, the NFL has also adopted the same thing where they do not have a Sunday night game to end it. And they now have uh, basically said to all of the teams, we're going to put you either in the 1 p.m. window on the final day of the regular season or the 4 p.m. window around other games that have playoff implications that involve you. And so 
Uh, if you're if you're involved with a West Coast team for a playoff implication, and you're an East Coast team, you're going to be playing at four in the afternoon. You know that they're going to move that. And sometimes they move it from marquee value to four in the afternoon. Uh, but likewise, if the visiting West Coast team is visiting for whatever reason in East Coast or Central time zone, they know, well, we may be playing the early game, not the four Eastern time window because of playoff implications. So that's just how the NFL chooses to do it on the final on the final day of that. And it did not lack for drama. We're not saying that. I mean, the Yankees and the Red Sox both locked up their spots on Sunday. So MLB what got what they wanted on the manufactured drama. It just, it, it pales in an NFL Sunday. That's the point, right? Yeah, you know, you're not going to get much of an audience there. And of course, with the NFL, they still do have the Sunday night game. Uh, they skipped that that one year uh, where the ratings were really low and it was going to be like New Year's Eve. But, um, you know, I mean, I think... Ultimately, uh, you know, you got to You got to if you want to get good ratings, you have to uh, program things well, you know, and uh, three o'clock on an NFL Sunday with every single game going on and only one on national TV. Probably not the way to go about it. All right. Speaking of that Sunday night game, I was there for Tom Brady's return to the New England uh, area and to play the Patriots as the visiting quarterback. Bizarre is one way to describe it, John. It was kind of surreal. It was it was really well done by the Patriots. The video tribute they did to him, the crowd roared in approval. I'm not talking about just clapped. Uh, chills. I'm not over-exaggerating, John. I've done this for, for 20 years uh, with Buccaneer Radio broadcasts, and they dimmed the lights and the whole stadium rose as one for the video presentation to roar for him, not just clap. It was neat to see, and it scored big time in the ratings for NBC. Help me with the numbers. They were claiming biggest Sunday night football audience since 2012. Go into the numbers a little bit for us here on the podcast. So obviously a massive number, 14.6 rating, 26.75 million viewers. So, you know, as far as whether or not it was the biggest Sunday night audience since 2012, you got to keep a lot of things in mind. One, when NBC says that they're combining their streaming projection and then, uh, no, their streaming audience and then their Nielsen projection, this is, gets a little complicated. Anytime you see ratings that come out on Mondays, you're not seeing the final rating, unless it's like on the Friday or whatever. But if you're seeing a weekend rating on a Monday, it's not the final rating because the weekend ratings don't come out till Tuesday at, I guess, 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, and uh, so, Typically, what you will see is if you see a Saturday or Sunday rating referenced on a Monday in a press release, it's the Fast National, which was never a problem before. You know, Fast Nationals were almost always basically identical to the final national number. What's happened is that ever since Nielsen began including out-of-home viewing, they only include that in the final national, not the Fast National. So now Fast Nationals are always several million viewers lower than the final national. Right. So what NBC has been doing, because I think the networks like putting out the Monday press release, they don't want to wait till Tuesday to talk about the ratings. So what NBC has been doing is they release a projection of what they think the number will be. In general, you know, you, there's a little bit of hesitation about, well, do we really want to go with what the networks are projecting their audience is going to be? Right. right? Uh, so NBC started doing this in the Olympics and they, the reason why I trust that number is because when NBC was doing it in the Olympics, sometimes their projection would be below 
what the audience was. They might say, well, uh, our projected audience, you know, and they don't refer to it as a projection unless you ask them, you know, mm-hmm. so, right. The press release doesn't indicate that typically, although, you know, now that I think about it, there might be a little asterisk at the bottom that says that it's a projection, but, you know, they, Still, they might if say, I can interject, it's an important sure. distinction that you're making on how we know, and this is fascinating, preach on, I'm, I'm learning. Yeah, and I think so in the Olympics, they might have said in the Monday press release, we had 15 point. In fact, I'll give you the exact example. Uh, NBC's primary Olympics press release came out on the Monday, and they said they had averaged 15.5 million viewers. Uh, That was their projection. The actual number, once they came in with the finalized weekend numbers, because the initial projection included their projection of the final weekend, uh, the final audience was actually 15.6 million which again we're talking about a minuscule a couple hundred thousand in that case right nobody would really care about but their projection that they put in their press release was lower than the actual audience right so you know if you're trying to figure out should i trust these numbers anytime the network is shortchanging itself right that kind of tells you okay i can trust these numbers a little bit um so with sunday night football what i've noticed the last couple of weeks is that the projection is coming in higher than the actual number it's not dramatically higher but it's higher and nbc said monday well 27.2 million viewers on linear tv that was their projection of what the nielsen figure would be it's actually 26.75 so that's not thousand so we're clear because it's audio in a podcast Five hundred thousand less keep going so that's not the end of the world. It's not like, oh, it actually didn't do well. That's still a massive number. But, you know, that's going to bring down that combined total because I imagine that the streaming figures from Adobe Analytics that they're using are not going to change. So you can basically subtract from maybe 28.5 to like maybe 28, 27.9, something like that. And that's still a huge number. That's a massive, massive number. Yes. Um, I think it might actually still be the best since 2012. Now, if we're just looking at the Nielsen reported audience, however, it's not going to be the best since 2012. I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm pretty sure. Let me see, actually. Let me. While you're looking for that, you've repeatedly said to this audience, if you're just new to this podcast here, the sportsmediawatch.com podcast, you've repeatedly said the numbers have generally declined across the board for everything and live sports TV and the NFL. And you've seen that kind of slow decline from 2015 to 16 to 17 and that especially in the last two or three years you're just not going to get the same audience you were getting on a 2015 Sunday night game or a 2014 Sunday night game because there's not as many people watching TV first and foremost that don't have TV as their sole source you've made that point over and over again so what did you find there on the uh, on the dive well, uh, I'm trying to figure out if it actually ended up, uh, it actually ended up on just the Nielsen reported audience being lower than Manning's return to Indianapolis back in 13, which was also a Sunday night game. That was 26.9. When you factor in that Nielsen includes out of home viewing now than it didn't prior to 2020, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately we're not talking about, you know, all time records necessarily, right? So again, it doesn't really change much. The general point is this game did extremely well and as well as NBC could possibly have hoped. But you know, I mean, the press release is a little bit rosier than the reality. Just that's, a what they, that's what they get paid to do. Hey, let me insert this because I had heard this story. You and I actually didn't talk about this in the buildup. 
NBC, all the way back before the schedule was released, went full bore after this game and this date. And the reason for that, plural, the reasons for that were they knew the magnitude of his return, obviously. They further knew that on Sunday night, October the 3rd, as we've already discussed, no Major League Baseball competition. It's completely out of the way. No Sunday night game. As small as it might be, if there's a million or two million others that are watching the Sunday night game with playoff implications. So they knew that about this date. And they went through an elaborate presentation with the NFL schedule makers that included Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth in video. Uh, not p- Pleading is the wrong word. Uh, trying to impress upon the NFL how important it was to NBC and and how much they wanted this, and it obviously worked. The NFL agreed. John, what are your thoughts on all of that to put this into place as they did about five months ago strategically on a Sunday night when they knew there would be no MLB? Well, I'm a little surprised the MLB was that much of a factor. I mean, granted, you know, a baseball game involving, you know, I mean, maybe it would have been Yankees-Red Sox. I don't know, but – realistically um you know I, I i that would have been that would be an impact maybe around the margins a little bit i would think um you know anyone who's going to watch a sunday night baseball game over the nfl over a game like that probably is not that big of an nfl viewer to begin True. with but you know it's still smart it's still smart you clear the competition out i have no idea what espn aired sunday night no idea Right. I mean, they might have, might have been showing Sports Center on the loop. Was it World's Strongest Man? I don't know. I was working. Somebody can give us some feedback on that. I don't Probably know. What Stephen it was. A. Smith. Probably Stephen A. You know. Maybe. Uh, but I mean, look, it was a smart move. It was a smart move and smart to choose this date. Um, you know, uh, a year ago, to, a year ago in that week four window, it was Eagles 49ers opposite the NBA finals. You know. Wow. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, certainly a much And better- how much out of curiosity, if you remember, you can look, how much did the NFL uh, lose out to the NBA finals? I would assume five, six million at least, and maybe even greater. Grant- granted, it's a time shift for the right. finals because it's usually in the summer, but I would bet four or five million watched that, that oh, yeah. finals game. Well, the thing is the finals, it was the least watched finals game ever, but it was still six million viewers. There you go. Right? So a lot of people, they, they would only say, wow, the NFL crushed the NBA and not think about, wow, the NFL had to go up against another sporting event that had 6 million viewers that night. Then the very next week, the finals was on again and had 9 million. Then the week after that, they had the normal competition from the league championship series, uh, which was a game seven, which had nine, I think 10 million. Then they had the world series the week after. And beyond all of that, you have to factor in the demos which even though the NBA was doing horribly last October, those were really comparable demo numbers to a World Series, particularly for the game six. So basically last October was a nightmare for Sunday Night Football. They won every single head to head comfortably, but their numbers were drained because of that competition. Good reference points. It's why we love John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson from SportsMediaWatch.com. Can I add one more thing in? My wife may be... The biggest non-New Yorker, 1986 New York Mets fan that there is. And the tie is she's born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida, and that's where the Mets trained. And she gravitated to them as a teenager in the early 80s and mid-80s when they were training in St. Pete. And the 86 season was a magical season. That was her team. Okay, fast forward. We rewatched the ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries that they just released, John. And I don't know if you partook in that or have seen that, but they are fantastic in telling the story of the 86 Mets. What's interesting about all of the drama around game six 
uh, the famous Bill Buckner. That was a Saturday night game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Sunday night, they were slated to play the next night game seven, but it was a rainout in New York. Yeah. Consequently, and typically, remember now in the 80s, there was not Sunday night football to compete. It was not yet an every night thing until the next year when ESPN started doing like a half season, John, of Sunday night football. I think weeks like nine through 17 or whatever it was with the bye week. Uh, then it became a full season thing years later. So the point of my story is they were trying to play the World Series when there wasn't Monday night football, trying to play it on Sunday night to own Sunday night. They have a rainout. So now, as it turns out in the story, Game 7 Red Sox-Mets is being played Monday night, while across the river at the Meadowlands, the Giants and the Redskins are playing Monday night football at the same time. I don't know historically. I know the baseball won out over Monday night football, but it's kind of the same thing where ABC had to be shaking their head because baseball was much bigger in the eighties that they tried to avoid this, but that's exactly how it played out so much so that I, I I refreshed my wife on this story that I remember when Ray Knight hit the critical home run late in game seven on the Monday night for the Mets off of Calvin Schiraldi, the relief pitcher. And these guys are being interviewed all through the documentary. The roar was so loud, John, at the Meadowlands. The Redskins were about to run a play against the Giants. And the spontaneous roar in the Meadowlands from those listening on the radio and having little two-inch TVs or three-inch TVs watching the Mets game was so loud that Joe Theismann and the Redskins false started and made a mistake. And nobody could figure out why the crowd roared when it did to make them jump you know, false start. And it was because Ray Knight had homered across the river in Queens at, at old Shea stadium for the home run. So I relate all of that to here. We are 35 years later where the NFL in particular doesn't care about the world series game being on, on Sunday night. If Fox puts it on, pick up on that point. It was such a big deal in the eighties. And then it inadvertently came together on that Monday night for the 86 Mets and the giants against the Redskins on Monday night football. But right now, the NFL doesn't care about Sunday night and the baseball uh, playoffs, much less the World Series. They're going to trudge on, and if some of the audience is taken away, it's taken away, right? Yeah, you know, I think the NFL realized that having a week where there's no Sunday night game didn't make any sense, right? And this was, you know, the case for years where NBC would just randomly have a Sunday night where they didn't have Sunday night football. And, uh, you know, look, uh, the World Series isn't strong enough to completely kill out the NFL. Even if it's a lower-than-usual number, you're still going to get a strong number. So, um, you know, the World Series has actually beaten the, uh, the, uh, the, the NFL Sunday Night Football a few times recently, uh, not last year, not the year before, but back in 16, obviously Cubs against Indians, and then 2017 Astros Dodgers, which was a much bigger draw than I think people anticipated. Uh, may very well, well, probably won't win the head-to-head this year, honestly. Uh, but, you know, I mean, certainly for the NFL, the fear of baseball dissipated rather quickly. I think you can go back to that game, Washington against Dallas and like, oh, one terrible game. The teams are terrible. Uh, Al Michaels and the crew were mocking the game on the air to the point where the NFL got upset. Uh, <laughs> and the NFL still beat a game five between I think it was the Yankees and the A's. Uh, and that was probably the turning point where they realized, wait a second, we, we, we're strong enough without regular season to beat baseball with their playoffs. Uh, maybe it happened before then, maybe it was after, but it was around that time that you started to see that uh, that change. 
Love the insight of John Lewis as we motor along. I should mention to the audience, we are going to get into a little bit of love it or leave it with some fun subjects that are going to be upcoming here in a couple of moments. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, interesting, uh, again, coming off of that that whole broadcast of Sunday Night Football and all the anticipation and the, and the New England crowd. Uh, you really wonder if that's going to bolster the Buccaneer ratings moving forward. Interesting, the Buccaneers uh, play the Dolphins this weekend at home. Jim Nance and Tony Romo will be on the call, and most of the country will get the game because it's one of only two opportunities, John, where Nance and Romo get to broadcast a regular season Buccaneer-Tom Brady game uh, because it's the visiting AFC team. Uh, the other one will be in December when the Buffalo Bills come to play the Buccaneers. And I can already tell you, Nance and Romo are already doing that game. We were already told about that in December. So a lot of the country will get the game, but then the Buccaneers will play the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night, the following week, a week and a half from now at the time that we're taping again, that'll be Joe Buck, Troy Aikman and on Fox. I'm just curious. What is your, do you have any feel that the Buccaneers may begin to pick up momentum on the repeat? Tom Brady, national TV, standalone games. They've got a Monday night game coming later in the year with the Giants in November that those may do better. Uh, any any educated guess? Well, I mean, look, let's be real. The Buccaneers have played in three of the top four windows this season. The exception would be uh, the week two where they went to 25% of the country against Atlanta, and that was the top single header of the season so far. There's only been three, but still. Uh, clearly the Bucks have become a big draw, which is not typical for Tampa Bay, right? We know the Rays do not draw. We know the Lightning don't really draw, but the Buccaneers of Tom Brady, they draw, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, ultimately we're talking about Brady's return to New England and we're talking about a game against the Cowboys, right? And then the week three game that also ranks in the top four against the Rams didn't really do that well. So, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to overstate it, but certainly, uh, you know, the Bucks, they are the draw. I mean, that 14.6 rating to me for the, the game against the Patriots is more impressive than the 26.78 million viewers because, look, let's be real. Viewership can be so inflated now. You're adding in 400 different sources. You know, you're adding in the out-of-home, you're adding in the streaming, and then there's just a general population growth and all of that. Uh, the little secret of the industry right now is that if you look at the household ratings, everything looks worse than it actually well, then, then I think people want to let on, right? And let's be real, you know, how many NBA finals and World Series games over the past year have had less than a five rating, right? Uh, way more than anyone would ever have expected. Sure. The rating story, the household rating story is not, it's not the same as the viewership story, right? Uh, I wrote this the other day, but entering Sunday, there have only been five NFL games with a double digit rating so far, right? That's less than even last year when you had seven. So um, the fact that a 14.6 a rating, you know, I'm sure you remember back in the day when you used to see 15s and 16s and 17s. Well, a 14.6 is higher than any regular season window last year in any time slot, including Thanksgiving. Inclu I mean, Thanksgiving, the ratings are usually lower and the viewership much higher anyway, because you have more viewers per home because it's a day when people congregate. But um, certainly, uh, you know, higher than Thanksgiving, higher than any of the doubleheaders. That 14.6 rating is the highest for any NFL window since the uh, Patriots Chiefs late in 19. So I think that was an impressive number, um, you know, and the Bucks 14.6 that night, 13.4 against the Cowboys and the kickoff. I mean, those are numbers you don't see anymore. I mean, those are numbers that if the World Series goes through a game seven, 
it's probably not going to get to that unless it's like Yankees Dodgers or something. All right. We'll see how all that plays out. Interesting that the Thursday night game, again, at the time we're releasing the podcast, is the Rams and the Seahawks, primarily Western appeal, but that's major markets, LA, the number two market. The Sunday night game is Kansas City Buffalo in a playoff rematch. Again, though, that's not a New York or Chicago, not Brady and the Bucks. Curious to see how those numbers do with baseball postseason also competing with them. Well, um, it'll, as they go. That won't be a factor. White Sox, Astros, right. uh, that's a series that, you know, that was the lowest rated World Series ever at the time. Of course, it was an 11 rating, which now would be incredible. But right. back in 05, it was... It's always your point. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, look, uh, that that's not going to be a factor. You know, last year, Vikings-Seahawks went up against Game 6 of the NBA Finals. And again, as horribly as the NBA Finals did last year historically, 9 million viewers, or I guess it was like 8.4 actually now that I'm thinking... 8.4 million viewers opposite Sunday Night Football. Sunday Night Football does not face that kind of competition all the time. And in the demos, you're talking about three-point this, three-point that. Like, that was crushing competition for the NFL, even though it won the head-to-head. So this will be nothing close to that. Interesting on all of the numbers. Are we ready? I think that we are ready. Let's do it. Love it or leave it. I think John and I are both going to love this. We got a fan mail email from the podcast. We love our audience. We love any response. You can tweet at him, by the way, at Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch on Twitter. Also leave comments, et cetera, through sportsmediawatch.com. But you and I got an email uh, from somebody that I'm very acquainted with, with the American Athletic Conference. He's been a longtime college sports media executive formerly working with ESPN Tom Ojakian uh OJ is his nickname love OJ have worked with OJ in the past on a bunch of stuff Tom used to do a bunch of the basketball programming for ESPN the scheduling of games etc he then uh went on John to work for the Big East Conference for a lot of the years in the 90s on scheduling their basketball agreements with ESPN and CBS he now schedules everything along with others assisting him through the, uh, through the American conference with their television partners, ESPN, CBS, uh, on and on. So OJ reached out to us because last week we were talking about the Ryder Cup, U.S. versus Europe. We were talking about, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, USA basketball losing in the Olympics, and then it becomes a big deal. And I mentioned the America's Cup sailing, that once we lost for the first time ever to the Australians, this became a big deal in the 80s. Such a big deal that ESPN televised in the 1980s the America's Cup from Australia. And Tom emailed us, John Lewis, and said, thank you for the shout-out and remembering what we did at ESPN in the 80s with the America's Cup. Pretty cool. So we love audience – don't we agree? It's, we, we love audience feedback. Even if they're calling Absolutely. us names and don't like us, try to be polite. But we love audience feedback, don't we? Well, positive feedback, but yeah, you know <laughs> – and it's good to hear from OJ that he is that he was out there and remembering that we and they got numbers as he was saying in the email they got numbers on sailing John these races would take like five hours in the middle of the night and it was like best of I, I want to say it was best of nine if it wasn't best of eleven it was not World Series best of seven or NBA Finals best of seven they were going like best of nine you got to win six times. Best wow. of 11 uh, to win the America's Cup. So it did have audience. And thank you to Tom Ojakian for uh, reaching out. Again, send us send us uh, feedback 
through uh, John Sider, or again, find him on Twitter as well on social media. You can even insult me if you would like. I'll take the insults for John. Uh, do that at Buck Sideline Guy, B-U-C. It's a clever name, John, B-U-C, Buck Sideline Guy, because I do radio work with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the sidelines on that. Another subject, here we go. Love it or leave it. I am curious because I was in New England and they were serving the clam chowder every which direction. I must confess on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast, you really ready for a little personal information? I used to love shellfish, used to, and clam chowder and lobster and whatever. And then I became allergic as I got older. I am very much allergic and I have to stay completely away for that reason. I used to eat the stuff by the pound, John. I can't have it anymore. So everybody was enjoying the New England clam chowder at Gillette Stadium and I could not partake. Love it or leave it. Are you a chowder guy in any form or any fashion? Well, I did enjoy the cartoon, uh, I, I, the Cartoon Network show, you know. You know uh, what I mean. I don't mean cartoon. I mean the food. Clam chowder uh, doesn't do anything for you? Well, you know, I, um, I also have uh, some anaphylactic shock in my family history, so <laughs> yep. uh, not really. I did, I did enjoy the clam chowder growing up a little bit. Uh, I, I'm supposed to be heading to Boston soon for some important work. Okay. So I... I uh, maybe I'll try some there, although I don't know. Maybe I'm allergic, too. Maybe I'd I have the it. Benadryl on standby like I do just in case. Uh, and again, they they were raving about it there the other night. Uh, I will say that our booth was right next to Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth and company. And the spread that NBC had for the food besides the clam chowder would rival some four and five star restaurants. And we were not allowed to be around it or touch it. It was just interesting to see all of that with I the goodies. I assume Al had five or six steaks with him. Uh, they didn't have steak, but they had chicken. They had vegetables, sides. They had cookies that were the size of like uh, dessert plates. I mean, they had all kinds of things. And we were expressly told with a security person standing there, stay away from this if you're not from the NBC crew uh, up there in the booth. Just a little backstage there on the food and the clam chowder. The clam chowder was available for everybody in the press box. It's a, it's a staple there. It's kind of like when you come to Tampa and they have the Cuban sandwiches, which is ham and pork and the Cuban bread. They have that in the Raymond James Stadium press box as they did for the Super Bowl actually last year. Enough about the food. One more subject here. Love it or leave it. Big time heavyweight title fight coming on Saturday night on pay-per-view Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. Fury from the UK, Wilder from Alabama. Third time they have fought. This has been a much delayed third fight, John. The reason I bring it to you it is a joint pay-per-view, something interesting, something you may be interested in writing about later in the week on the site in that Fox and ESPN are both showing the pay-per-view and they have a hybrid broadcast crew. Uh, they did this for the previous Fury Wilder fight last February where Joe Tessitore called it from ESPN with Lennox Lewis, the former heavyweight champion, the Fox analyst, and also Andre Ward, the ESPN analyst. This time it is Fox's lead on the production of the joint pay-per-view Saturday night. Brian Kinney is the play-by-play -play voice with Lennox Lewis, with Andre Ward. It'll have a little more of a Fox feel if, if you watch any of the Fox boxing coverage. Love it or leave it, are you interested in the least in seeing what this looks like, even from the broadcast standpoint, the joint Fox ESPN pay-per-view late night Saturday after the college football is winding down. Fury Wilder, love it or leave it, John Lewis. Well, well, one, I would note that I'm looking at the press release right now, and they refer to him as Brian Kelly. So, Which clearly, is not good. No. He would be the Notre Dame football coach, yeah. and I think he might be busy on Saturday and not calling the fight, right? 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, they do refer to him as Brian Kenny the first few times, but then they, they finally slip up and call him Brian Kelly down there at the bottom. Um, look, you know, uh, I mean, when was the last time I watched boxing? I love uh, the boxing documentaries. I actually was watching the movie where Muhammad Ali plays himself and the story right, of his right. life on, on uh, The Greatest from 1977. That was interesting. I mean, boxing is really interesting, except to watch as it happens, right? Uh, boxing is, it lends itself to documentaries, to movies, and, and not to actually watching live in my experience, right? Because, you know, you gotta go back to Tyson, not Tyson Fury, but the actual Tyson. Mike you Tyson. Yeah. Mike Tyson. You gotta go back to Evander Holyfield. You gotta go back to, you know, uh, 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 the guy, uh, the Meineke guy, you know, you know, Meineke car care, the grill. I'm not even sure. George Foreman. Yeah, yeah thank Foreman you. Grill. Yeah, yes. There we go. <laughs> well, but Muhammad Ali, much more famous. And right. Sugar Ray Leonard was obviously yes. a big deal, transcending sports, uh, transcending just casual sports fans. I mean, they would they would put a Sugar Ray Leonard fight on and it would have 30 or 40 million people watching, John, 30 or 40 million watching boxing. Again, far fewer choices. So keep it in perspective. Right. But boxing was a much bigger deal. Uh, just from the aspect of what you do, are you fascinated uh, at all about the joint broadcast here, the joint pay-per-view? It's the second time they will have done it since last February. Joint announcers trying to work together, everybody playing nicey-nice and being professional and all of that. Well, I think it'll be interesting to have Brian Kenny back on ESPN and uh, interesting to have Max Kellerman back on Fox, considering if you, uh, if you have the very long memory of IMAX. I actually watched that. I didn't watch a lot of it. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't mind him too much on Around the Horn. Uh, and uh, so when he went to FS1, I actually tuned in. Uh, it, it just didn't work, you know. Right. Uh, they brought in the disembodied voice from Around the Horn, who is a pretty big executive uh, himself. Uh, I wish I could remember his name because... I, he, I remember the show was short-lived. Bill right? Wolf. It was a, Bill, Bill Wolf. Wolf. It yeah. was a copycat show of Around the Horn, and it did not last more than a year. Did it last a no. year? I don't even think it lasted a year. I don't think it lasted a year. But Kellerman uh, will be on the studio coverage. And again, right. this is a pay-per-view. We should say this to the audience. ESPN is going to be showing college football. Fox is going to be showing college uh, football and baseball playoffs. It's a pay-per-view. And I want to say it's like $79.95. So obviously, John is not buying it for $79.95. I'll be curious with our boxing coverage. I have a sister uh, website and podcast that we work with, Big Fight Weekend. Free plug, Big Fight Weekend podcast. We'll be covering it. We're paying for the pay-per-view. We're watching but it is fascinating because it will be on both pay-per-view outlets, ESPN Plus's pay-per-view and Fox's pay-per-view with both the announcers. So, and we've, mm -hmm. we've seen that before. It would kind of be interesting if you ever had it like for the World Series where they had, you know, back in the day, the NBC announcers along with the ESPN announcers working in the same booth. Or let's just bring it to the NFL. If, if Joe Buck was calling the game as he did at one point with Chris Collinsworth, or if it was Al Michaels and Tony Romo that were calling the Super Bowl, right, John? That's the best way that I could equate it. Yeah, they should do something like that just for fun. And the NFL could get away with it, right? A little mix and match. Buck could work with uh, Romo. Nance could work with Collinsworth. And then Michaels could work with Aikman just for fun. You know, just, you know, like uh, like those days when they'd have uh, Jack do Jeopardy and Trebek do Wheel of Fortune. You know, just shake it up a little bit. Yes, that's a good point. I do remember that. Uh, the late Alex Trebek, by the way, was a game show maven. I think the number was like over 20 game shows that he had hosted before he latched on to Jeopardy. He was hosting everything in U.S. and Canada 
with game shows. Great recollection on that. So the boxing pay-per-view is Saturday. We basically come to the end here of the podcast, unless there's anything else that I left out that we talked about NFL, baseball ratings, uh, et cetera. College football still remains strong, although not as strong. No, no game reached 5 million in college football viewership, right, last weekend? No, uh, you know, and that's that's bound to happen. You're not going to get huge numbers every single week, right? And uh, the games were particularly good, blowouts, you know. People aren't going to just sit down and watch Alabama, you know, humiliate uh, Lincoln, <laughs> uh, Mississippi just for fun, right? Uh, you know, that's one of the things college football, ultimately, you got to have a, you're not the NFL. You got to have good games every week. If you don't have good games every week, people aren't going to tune in uh, in the same numbers. I mean, if you're sure. still about when you're adding up all the figures, college football is very, very potent still. But, you know, uh, these SEC blowouts where, you know, no one wants to see that. I mean, Georgia humiliating Arkansas after all right. that high day and everything. Arkansas can't even score. You know, that's ridiculous. Uh, frankly, uh, the SEC, you know, they have all these paper tigers all the time. All these, you know, because Alabama and Georgia are so good, you know, they got all these other teams that on paper, you're like, oh, this should be a good game and they get smoked, right? Nobody wants to see that. And, you know, Michigan-Wisconsin won that uh, noon window. It beat Arkansas-Georgia. Game day was at game. A- it was a better game, right? Yeah. Game day was there. Fowler and Herb Street were there, and Holly Rowe and uh, Fox still won that because Michigan Wisconsin was, I think, more interesting, right? And a, and a closer game. And Michigan, dare we say, I'm not a Michigan guy, but I have friends and acquaintances and former players at Michigan that I'm friends with. They may, may again be back. They look good. And so that will bode well for ratings in the Midwest and the Big Ten as things go on for ESPN and for Fox as things unfold, right? Big Ten is bigger, in my view, all things being equal. The Big Ten is bigger than the SEC in terms of TV ratings, in my view. Because the SEC, you you know, I mean, the SEC, obviously, because Alabama and, and, you know, Georgia, the teams that they have. But, you know, Michigan doesn't even have to be that good. They just have to be somewhat resurgent. And they're going to draw and Ohio State is going to draw, you know, and uh, I, you know, and you look at Penn State and Iowa, that'll be an interesting test. Yes. They're not the most exciting brands, but they're three and four in the country. They're going up against Georgia Auburn. Now, that will actually be really interesting. We'll put that to the test. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, what the watch, big- we'll watch for it. Yeah, for next week. And, and keep in mind, Penn State delivers Philadelphia and Pittsburgh in that state. But there's also a lot of interest in Cleveland. This is your point. Chicago, Detroit, in what is Penn State doing when they're unbeaten playing Iowa? And it's the same way if Ohio State is unbeaten and they play Iowa, et cetera, they'll watch kind of anti in Detroit, in Indianapolis, in Minneapolis, in in other markets besides the Ohio markets. That is a good test to see. And that I saw that Iowa team a few weeks ago. They're good. They're undefeated. They're not a major market draw. We'll see how that game uh, that game does and that game ends up. Uh, here with all this going on. I mean, we're anxious for extra eyeballs, extra screens with the baseball playoffs, the NASCAR playoffs. We didn't even mention this are going on. The NBA about to start up and ESPN is back with the NHL starting soon, starting what next week. I see them running the promos that they're starting soon, right? We'll see what happens. Uh, All these NHL fans, they're all so excited to get rid of NBC. Oh, finally, no more NBC. You know, they're all mad because NBC made them watch Milbury for all those years. (laughs) If we come back around in five years and they're happy with ESPN, I, I, I will be surprised. Are you even giving it five if they come back around like in three years? and they? And yeah, they... because, you know, I mean, ESPN, 
ESPN loves ESPN and the sports that ESPN airs are it's, you know, ESPN doesn't air these things for the games and the fans. They air it as a promotional tool. ESPN promotes ESPN. NBC, for example, if ESPN had had that Brady game, yeah, obviously they would have promoted the game, but it would have been, here's Stephen A's take on Brady. Sure. Uh, here's here's our Manning cast of Brady versus, it's always about them. And, you know, NBC- To your point, can I just interject before we go? They were doing that on Friday. It was all about the Stephen A. Smith show, PTI, Around the Horn, all about their takes on the Brady return. And they had their pregame show for three hours Sunday there when it wasn't even their game. And that's pretty much what they were also, to your point, what they were incorporating from Gillette Stadium Sunday morning on ESPN. I think NHL fans are going to be missing NBC before it's all said and done. Although I will say they're pretty much getting NBC on TNT anyway with McHugh. The announcers, right? With Kenny Albert, with Eddie Olchek. I think Olchek may be quick opinion. Love it or leave it. I think Olchek may be the most underrated analyst. I've said this for years because he does hockey and it doesn't get near the attention of football and basketball. He is tremendous with enthusiasm, with picking up on stuff that you're looking for from an analyst, with criticizing, with teaching you things. He's he's not going to get the same recognition that Tony Romo, Kirk Herbstreet, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson get because they're on the much bigger high-profile sport. But I love Olchek, just real quick, just me. Yeah. I mean, he's good. Obviously, he does uh, horse racing as well. I believe he'll still do horse racing for NBC. It was great with Doc Emmerich. You wonder if Doc regrets retiring. Because I feel like some people retired because of COVID. And, you know, as things start to... Because I, I was just watching the game last night, and Kevin Calabro is suddenly doing it. I'm like, Kevin, you retired, didn't you? <laughs> I remember you retiring. Right. Back right. doing Blazers games. Basketball announcers, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, in Doc's I, case, I know of him. I don't know him well, but I know of him. I know people that know him. He was just at the end anyway, and it kind of all it, we we talked about this with Marv Albert. It it kind of comes that way. Uh, and, and and Mike's got a great relationship as as millions and millions do with his wife, and he's gone a bunch, and his wife has been ill, and you get to a point in time where do I want to be gone weeks and weeks and months and months all the time away from her? when I've done this for so long and, and I say good on him, good on him that he, it's still bizarre, John, I got the hat over my shoulder. You could see the video um, that the audience can't see on the podcast. The last game that he ever called for NBC was in a bubble that he did from his home as the Tampa Bay lightning beat the Dallas stars in the Edmonton bubble. That's doc Emmerich's final game for NBC back a season and a half ago. How crazy is that on the trivia question? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, maybe it was a bit wishful thinking on my part to think that Doc might might come Love back. Love to have him back. Love to maybe, have him back. But you know, obviously it's not going to work because obviously Beijing is going to be a complete disaster. You can already tell just like Tokyo was. But maybe the uh, just Olympic uh, hockey, you know, NBC will have it. You know, maybe because, I mean, it, it really is a shame that his final game is from his home and this ridiculous right. Well, they might, they, you know, ESPN might bring him back for a broadcast. He did ESPN's hockey for a lot of years. Gary Thorne was the lead guy, but Mike Emmerich was right there too. Maybe they bring him back for a token game, but you're right. And he did not go to South Korea for the Olympics. Kenny Albert did those uh, for the hockey 
uh, back, what, three years ago, about to be four years ago now. So love Doc Emmerich, one of these standards. I mean, it's one of those, one of those names, you know this, John, that, that uh, you can talk about Vin Scully the same way, even Al Michaels, born to call this, born to call hockey, Doc Emmerich. And, and I think uh, um, he will be missed on those broadcasts. We'll see what happens with ESPN and with Turner coming up. Anything else or are we good on this edition? Um, you know, I could keep talking, you know, uh, but uh, we could also wrap it up too. I will say uh, Kenny Albert is great. I know a lot of people sure. have an issue with, with, you know, the idea of the son of the announcer getting the role. Same thing happened with Joe Buck and uh, Tom Brenneman. Obviously, we know how things ended with Tom, but I think Kenny's a great announcer in his own right. Same with Joe Buck as well, uh, you know, and I, I enjoy his work. I don't mind him being the lead, uh, you know. I'll be intrigued to hear Sean McDonough. Uh, Sean McDonough, as good as he is, didn't bring the enthusiasm to Monday football, right? He got the biggest assignment of his career, Monday football, and he didn't bring the enthusiasm. So I'm going to be very hopeful to see, uh, uh, you know, Sean McDonough really coming out. Uh, ooh, new NBA countdown team, Stephen A., Michael Wilbon, Jalen Rhodes, hosted by Greenberg. Ugh, wow. Wait, wait, breaking news on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. John got the email as we're wrapping the podcast, you have been waiting and just get one more blast off before we go. And then they need to read the site for more comments. You're not happy with the NBA countdown crew because it is again. Go ahead. Say it again. I mean, it's Greenberg as the host. Stephen A., Wilbon, Jalen Rose. Just get me out of here with that. Magic <laughs> uh, will be joining the team for uh, throughout the regular season NBA playoffs and finals. Uh, Wednesday editions will be Richard Jefferson, Kendrick Perkins, Aguma Kay, and Michael Eaves. That obviously be far better, but uh, yeah, this will be terrible. Um, the new team will serve as the onside pregame and halftime host of the NBA Finals. So you go from two women that you pit against each other to Mike Greenberg, uh, which is super, super woke. Congratulations, ESPN, for that. Just ridiculous. Wow. Uh, so yeah. Love the takes, and you've been talking about this for weeks, and so there it is. Uh, with the announcement, but again, Greenberg for not anything other than the NBA Finals in the release, as you scan uh, it, it over real like, quick. It looks like it will be uh, the entire time. Um, okay. Thank goodness for NBA League Pass because you can watch the games. You don't have to watch the pregame studio coverage. Uh, thank. You. Make sure you go buy NBA League Pass. It's it's a little pricey. It'll be about two hundred fifty bucks for the whole season. That's that's really pricey, by the way. But uh, absolutely. Go get NBA League Pass so you do not have to suffer through this. NBA TV also airs pregame coverage prior to the NBA Finals games. So you don't have to watch this. John is already just impugning this and sticking the sword in in this. I love that you've been on it and now it has broken. This is why we're cutting edge on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I got a take from John on that as we were trying to wrap up. I'm good that we delayed a little bit and got that final take. Uh, again, one more time, John, thanks. I appreciate you hanging out. We want everybody to subscribe, uh, find the podcast, subscribe, rate us and review us. More will find us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you leave a review, leave a five-star review. We'll keep promoting through John's website as well. John, thank you. I always appreciate it. We want them to keep reading the site.
Yeah, uh, I'm still reading this press release, man. Adam Silver's got to do something. David Stern would not have allowed this to happen. I smell, wait a minute, I smell an item on sportsmediawatch.com. So if you're not just hearing the podcast, read more on sportsmediawatch.com for John's feelings on the NBA studio host stuff with ESPN and ABC. I, I, I just can't get over I mean, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I, I'm not the type of person who would say, oh, you know, a white man shouldn't get this job or whatever. Right. You create a circumstance. You pit two women against each other for the same job needlessly. Right. You end up alienating one and then humiliating the other just to give it to the blandest guy you've got on your payroll who has had no involvement with the NBA for his entire tenure. They are really pushing the, the man way. is on fire at the end of the podcast. And again, read more at Sports Media Watch. Dot com. He's like an open wound on this. Read no, more, just, hear more is, on subsequent ones. Adam Silver should do something. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not even kidding. This should not be allowed to happen. Like, <laughs> right now, if, if I was Adam Silver right now, I would have sent uh, some kind of, uh, I'd be on the phone saying, you re re retract this press release. You <laughs> do this. Oh, interesting. Right. Uh, and you know, the, the amazing thing is, they were smart enough to know to put Shanae uh, on the uh, Wednesday show. They were smart enough to know that the Wednesday show should have at least some like young people on it. Like I know Jalen's on the main show, but this is the Supreme Court here with uh, with with Wilbon and Magic and Greenberg and Stephen A. Like this is like you know, can we have any kind of generational representation from like the last ten years? <laughs> you know, I mean, goodness gracious, this is the worst movie ESPN has made in a really long time. It's a terrible decision. I just absolutely 100% just condemn this move by ESPN wholeheartedly. And wow. you know something? I'll tell you something. Uh, if I don't know. I don't know, David Roberts. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have put my name on this press release. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. He's going to leave it in, in the love it and leave it section. He is going to leave it. John, we've come to the end of another edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. They need to subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and subscribe. Find it through the website, sportsmediawatch.com. I always enjoy it, even if you are still fuming here and still writing about it uh, with the NBA and the studio show on sportsmediawatch.com. I appreciate it for this week. We look forward to talking baseball postseason and much more, the startup of the NHL and the NBA next week. I look forward to it then. Thank you, John. No problem. By the way, this is exactly why NHL fans should be chilled to the bone about ESPN <laughs> being involved. Because, my goodness, 20 years for the NBA. Ooh, I don't know. Love it. All right. Love it. Great takes. We're done for now. Thank you for being with us. For John Lewis, I am merely TJ Reeves on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.